If you have your Bible this morning, I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking particularly at verse 33. We're going to be several different places, so I hope that uh, you've got your Bible open and ready to turn. You can follow along on the screen, uh, jot down some notes to look up passages uh, later as well. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and this morning's message is entitled, First Things First. We're going to talk about priorities this morning, and what I've come to realize is that the order we do things matters greatly, especially in some circumstances more than others. Now, I can recall, I was actually sharing with the men on Friday night uh, when we were bowling, we were out to eat and then went bowling, uh, sharing them a time that uh, my stepdad needed me to drive a tractor to the church. We grew up on 10 acres. He owned a a plant nursery, grew palm trees in South Florida, and I had driven much of his uh, equipment, especially he had a Kawasaki mule, a couple of them that were were fun to drive around. And uh, so I had pretty well experienced driving. I was about 14 at the time, and I had driven plenty of of times, at least that Kawasaki mule, and he said, I need you to get on the tractor, and we're doing a landscaping project at church. I'll meet you at the church. Can you take the tractor? Sure, not a problem. So I hop on uh, the tractor, and I, I put it into gear, and I get going down the road. This is the first time I get to drive on a road. Now, granted, it's country roads, so it's out kind of in the middle of nowhere, Several stop signs between the about five miles between our house and the church and one stop light, a four-way, a fairly busy intersection, but not too bad out in the country. And so I get going and I get to the first stop sign at the end of our street to turn left and I hit the brake and nothing happens. The tractor keeps going and I'm freaking out. I can't get it, but thankfully no cars are coming. So I turn and I go right on around the corner. I get going. I think, well, I've got like three more stop signs. The next stop sign comes up and I hit the brake. Nothing happens. The tractor keeps plowing on through. Blow through that stop sign. No cars coming, but it's progressively getting busier because we're approaching this intersection with a stoplight. Blow through another stop sign and another and up comes a stoplight and I can see it ahead. And I just start praying, Lord, let it turn green because I don't know how to stop this thing, you know? And so it's going and the Lord answers prayers. The light turns green in time that I don't even have to slow down. I move right through that intersection. One more stop sign I blow through. Nobody crashes into me. I make it to the church, turn in. I just kill the power on the tractor and I think something's wrong, right? This tractor's brakes are busted and I need to let my dad know. So we show up and I say, dad, something's wrong with the tractor. I drove it all the way here and the brakes did not work once. I had to kill the power to get it to turn off. And he said, really, that's weird. And he hopped up on the tractor and he started driving around. He stops and he goes and he stops and he goes and he stops and he goes. He says, it all seems to be working fine to me. And I said, I don't know why I didn't do it when I did it. And I hopped back on there and it goes and it won't stop. And he says, Trey, push the clutch. What's a clutch? You know? (laughs) I'd never driven anything manual before, and I realized that in order to get the gears to disengage, you've got to push that clutch pedal down. And if you don't, it doesn't matter what other things you press. Nothing is going to happen. Priorities matter. Push the clutch and then push the brake. Well, I feel confident in driving a stick now. Anybody have a stick vehicle they want me to drive around just to prove to you? Nobody want to volunteer that? All right. Priorities matter. What we do and what orders make a difference, and it is no different with our faith. When we don't have our priorities right in life, we suffer in our faith. And God clearly lines out for us the proper order of things in Matthew chapter 6, 
verse 33. As we turn there, know the context is that Jesus is preaching uh, what is probably his most famous sermon. And as he's sharing this, he gets to a section where he starts talking about worrying and how we're, we're wanting and desiring things for ourselves. Jesus talks about our desire for food, how we, we worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink, where our next meal is going to come from. Are we going to have God provide our meals for us? And we, we worry about what we wear. Do we have the right clothes? Do we have uh, proper clothes at all? Do we look okay? And, and Jesus reminds us in this sermon that God has provided for birds and given them food to eat, that they don't work they don't gather, and yet God provides meals for them. How much more will he provide meals for you? And it says, the, look at the, the flowers of the field. They don't spend time worrying about their dress and what they're going to wear, and yet there's no person who's ever lived who has looked as splendorous as a field of wild flowers. If God provides for the flowers, won't he provide for you as well? And you read that and you think, that's great, God, but I still go hungry sometimes and I still have tattered clothes sometimes or I still don't feel like I have my needs met. How does this work? And Jesus gives us the key in Matthew 6, verse 33, when he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The truth is there's a sermon in this one verse just breaking it down. And while I'm not going to preach two sermons to you, let me share with you a sermonette about this principle of Matthew 6.33. It's probably one of the most key passages in all of Scripture. If we will devote ourselves to seek first God's will in our lives, then everything that we need will be provided. Your sermonette this morning is... You do not get to determine what your needs are. Let me say that again. You do not get to determine what your needs are. And so I read a passage like this, and I think, God, I'm trying to follow you the best I can, and yet you didn't answer my prayers, and you haven't fulfilled my needs. And God looks down and says, you don't know what you need. <laughs> you think you need those things, but I have a better plan and a better vision for you. So without going into a whole 30-minute sermon on the way Matthew 6, 33 works, can we just acknowledge this morning that God's will in our life is greater than our will in our life? Maybe you don't believe that. And so we've got a secondary sermon, what the actual sermon is this morning, that is going to share with you what that looks like in our individual lives. But I want us to start off with this understanding. God's will for our life is always better than our will for our life. And when we make our lives priority, seeking the will of God, everything else doesn't become easy. It doesn't become perfect. It doesn't become uh, normal or fun or happy, but it becomes right. And so we're going to look this morning about priorities in our lives, seeking God's will before our own. I really want to ask four questions this morning about what we're investing in, what we're, what we're making priorities in our lives. Four areas that we need to examine our own lives, and quite honestly, one of these may hit you more than the other, or maybe all four of them hit you. But we need to examine our own priorities in our own life and ask ourselves, what are we investing in? What are we feeding to make sure that that, that area of our life is God-honoring? 
So as we go through, I hope that you'll consider at least these four ways. There are many, many more things we need to prioritize. But this will give us a good blanket start with our priorities. The first question we should ask ourselves is, where do I invest my time? If you have your bulletin, you can write that in the first blank. Time. Where do I invest my time? You remember being a, a young kid and uh, mom would always give us chores to do, right? You got to clean your room and then do the trash or the dishes or, you know, help whatever it is around the house. And she'd give me a list of two or three things. And, and usually the first one was pick up your room, which would take me the longest because my room was a mess. But it also took me the longest because I, I learned early on, if I've got a list of four things, if it takes me a long time on the first one, I may never have to get to the second one. So I would spend all day cleaning my room, <clears throat> all day cleaning my room, right? You know, moving things around, kind of kicking them under the bed and then getting them out from under the bed, putting them on a shelf, going, no, I think it looks better over here. And, and what probably should have taken me 30 minutes would take me about two hours. And mom would come in and check on my progress and she'd see my room still a mess. And, I, you know, I just, I'm getting to it. I'm trying. And, and, and I always would have this idea that if I can just waste enough time that I won't be able to do the other things on the list. You know, not once growing up did I ever get out of those other things on the list. It just took more time, right? I finished and I thought, it's dinner time now. The day's wasted. Mom, I didn't have time to. She says, yes, you do. It'll only take you five minutes to take out the trash that's on your list. Go do it, right? Oh, you got time. You don't need to play that game or, or, or go to this place. You can stay home and finish your chores. And, and I would always kick myself and I never learned. Right? I'm always wasting time and hope to get out of the next and I, I never got to escape the inevitability of time. I think we do that in our daily lives as well. Maybe not as deliberately, but we have a lot of things that, that waste our time. A lot of things that, that we invest in that have no value and no meaning. And we think if we just can focus on what we want to do, we won't have to worry about what we have to do. And scripture warns us, that our lives, our days, our, our culture is an evil culture that will let us waste our lives and never accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And that's the warning we have if you read in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Look carefully, how, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. There's a lot of thought that has gone into what that means, the days are evil, and, and there's a lot of theories, but can I tell you what I think it means? I think it means that our lives, the days that we live, have a tendency to fill up with selfish, evil, self-serving things if we let them. We have a tendency not to focus on the things God wants, but to focus on the things we want. And instead of using our time for God's glory, we use it for our own personal enjoyment, rest, or whatever it may be. This is not new. We have wasted time for thousands of years as people. But it's become increasingly more difficult to redeem the time because, at least in my own life, and I think you'll admit it as well, because we carry around time wasters with us everywhere we go. It was so funny the other day. We were just walking through a, a kind of a public area. And, 
And I heard someone in our group mention, man, we, we see a lot of people always wasting time on their phones all the time looking down. And, and as they were saying that, they were text, sending a text or something. And I'm going, this is kind of ironic, right? That we judge people for the way they use their time on a phone by tweeting about it, right? This doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what I did before a smartphone, to be honest with you. I use it so much. And there's so much benefit from technology, and yet, and yet there's so many things that I waste my time on. There's an app, right? So let's use the evil to reveal the evil. There's an app on every iPhone that will tell you how much time you've used for each app. I don't like to open it up. I don't want to see Every once in a while, Hannah and I kind of get into uh, friendly conversations about, well, you need to put your phone down more, we need to focus more, and they're all correct. And usually, I'll throw out an accusation and go, well, I know you're on your phone a whole lot more than I'm on my phone. Let's open up that app and check and see, right? By the way, we never open it up, because neither one of us wants to see. It doesn't matter who uses their phone more. I know I waste so much time on stupid, meaningless things. Now, does that mean you should never enjoy technology? You should never enjoy your life? That's not what this says. This says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. It doesn't say, don't have pleasure. It says, don't replace serving God with selfish, pleasurable things. We need to be very careful that if we are wasting time, we have time to waste. I don't believe that most of us have nearly as much time to waste as we let ourselves think we do. I don't know how many times we complain. I wish there were more hours in a day. I wish there were more days in a week. And I've often found myself looking at that app on my phone thinking, well, there's a built-in in my week just on my phone. I wonder how we're investing our time Are we investing it in in the things that honor God? Are we investing in the things that honor ourselves? I've got stupid games I play on my phone. I'm still going to play them. But I hope that I'll I'll prioritize when I play. I still use things in my life that I enjoy that are nothing but but selfish motivation or, or just pleasure. God has given us those things. But I hope that I'll take an inventory over how little I'm in the Word. I wish, I wish there was an app that told me every time I opened my Bible. There's a Bible app, and I can see how much I've spent on that, but I wish it would record every time I read the Word of God and spit it out to me. And I wish it would put it right next to that stupid game I play. How do you invest your time? Are you investing it on things that build up your faith? Or are you investing your time on things that are selfish and pull you away? We have to ask ourselves the question, where do I invest my time? Secondly, as we we think about our priorities, we need to ask ourselves the question, where do I invest my money? What do I spend money on? Now, this is where most of the church, especially if they don't know their pastor well, shuts down. Please don't do that. Okay, A, A lot of times... Preachers get this bad rap for only talking about money. I talk about money as much as Jesus talks about money. And I promise you, I only care about our spiritual growth. What I found is our finances and our money is a great barometer for what we really care about. I've shared this example several times in the past. 
a church that Hannah and I were a, a part of and, and leading as a pastor. And as we went into a business meeting, we had a hole in the churchyard that needed to be filled uh, for the safety of kids playing outside. It was going to cost $800 to get a pile of dirt and have them come in and fill this hole in on the church property. No brainer. We weren't a very large church, but for the safety of our kids and family, we needed to spend $800 to get this hole filled in. We approved it unanimously. No questions asked. Does it make our church budget tight at this small 15 to 20 member church? Yes, it does, but it needs to be done. On to the next item. We've got an after school program in the schools where we get to share the gospel with kids. I think it was third through fifth grade every week for about six weeks. A great program that our church pretty much kept afloat, even though it was a community effort. It was basically everyone from our church, all hands on deck, go and share the gospel with kids. And we had a need for $50 to help with this program. Can we approve $50 out of our budget to get the gospel to kids? And we had someone raise their hand. Shouldn't we ask the parents of the, the kids to contribute a little bit to help with that and someone else said our budget's really tight as it is i don't know what we can do to to let that kind of money go and there's this conversation going around of can we really afford to spend that extra fifty dollars and i praise god for the woman who stood up and said people this sounds ridiculous do you realize we just approved eight hundred dollars for dirt and we can't spend fifty dollars on the gospel to me that was a microcosm of of our own lives. Here's what Jesus tells us about our, our wealth. Also in Matthew 6, if you're there, you can look up in verses 19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus talks a lot about our treasures and our possessions and our money and our finances. And he says, don't invest in the here and now. It's going to be wasted. Instead, invest in things that further the gospel. Invest in things that make God's name known. This is not a plug for you to give more to the church. Although if you're convicted to do that, I really want to encourage you to read this verse and say, Lord, where should I be investing? This is not a plug that somehow if you give more money, the preacher will get more money. You can look at our church budget. It doesn't work that way. It never has, and it never will at First Baptist Church. If you gave a million dollars or one dollar, my salary is what the church approves. I don't preach this out of selfish gain. I preach this because can you imagine the gospel that we could share if everyone gave what God called them to give? We would never have an argument over money in this church. It would never be a question of how much can we spend on a ministry. It would never be a question on if we could invest in, in our building to see people come in safely and effectively and efficiently. It would never be a question on whether or not we would have the resources to share the gospel through any ministry we ever did. Can you imagine if our perspective was not to invest in ourselves in this temporary life? But if we invested in God's kingdom, I wish we could fully support a missionary. We support 10 right now. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we said people give enough that we can give a little bit to a, a lot of those missionaries. And on top of that, we can really bless a missionary family because our church invests in the kingdom and gives to our mission fund. I, I find very 
clearly that Jesus speaks about money and it's not because he wants people to give more to a church or to a person, but because he reminds us that where we spend is a reflection of what we value. And in the very next verse, Matthew 6, 21, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't think that this is a causative statement. I don't think that it it is necessarily a, a statement that says, if you only gave, your heart would follow it. I think that it's a reflective statement. The things that you give to are the things that your heart is already in. Our priority then is not to give more. Our priority is to ask, Lord, are you first in my finances? Do I chase after your will and your heart even with my treasures? Do I invest my heart in your kingdom? Because if so, then my treasures will follow. Is God a priority in your money? Where do I invest my money? Thirdly, we have to ask ourselves the question, where do I invest my God-given gifts, the talents that God has given me? Am I doing things that bring God glory through the way He's gifted me? I get a kick out of people who can be involved in every activity in Crawford County and aren't serving the church anywhere because they don't know what their spiritual gift is. Sometimes they go, I know what your spiritual gift is. It's behind the scenes running a soundboard. You do it great out at the, the college. I know what your gift is. It, it's, it's helping lead organizations like a social club. You're involved in that. Come and help lead a small group here at church. I know what your gift is. You teach. Where you're teaching already, you're investing in this, this teaching. God has called you to that as a lifelong vocation. There's things you could teach here at the church. We're so prone to use our gifts everywhere else, and when it comes to the church, we're nervous. And I, I think I know why that is. Because if we fail outside the church, people outside the church are fairly forgiving. We're in it together. But sadly, throughout the history of the church, when we failed within the church, we've been judgmental. It's not okay. You need to do better. Can I go ahead and tell you this morning at First Baptist Church, it's okay that you use your gifts and fail. We're with you. I hope that's true because I know as a pastor, I stand up and preach every single Sunday and there are plenty of times I fall flat on my face and I'm hoping that you're gracious. But we're a church that wants you to invest your gifts where it can have the most gospel impact. Jesus, or or Paul tells us, uh, the, the spirit of Jesus, but Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, that having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. In other words, you have a gift. It has been given to you by God's grace, and therefore, you should use them for God's glory. Then he lists several examples. By the way, I don't believe that there is a definitive list of spiritual gifts in Scripture. I think there are lists that give us great examples But God may gift you in a way that that you can't put down on a spiritual gifts test. Use it. As some examples, Paul says, if if your gift is prophecy, that is proclaiming truth, well, do it with grace. If your gift is service, well, then go and serve. If your gift is teaching, then teach. If your gift is exhortation or encouragement, then please go exhort and encourage. 
If your gift is in giving, then give. If your gift is in leading, then lead. If your gift is in showing mercy and grace and care and love, then show mercy. God has given you a gift, and you ought to be using it where it can have the most kingdom impact. We serve everywhere else. Why not serve where the kingdom of God can flourish? Where do I invest my God-given gifts? Am I serving God and using my talents that He has graced me with to build up His kingdom? And finally, and I might say most importantly, where do I invest my relationships? Where do I invest my relationships? There's plenty in the Gospels that Jesus gives warning about putting relationships with people above our relationship with God. And so before we look at our person-to-person relationships, I think it's extremely important that we understand Jesus has some harsh words for even putting our most important relationships before our relationship with God. He is our first priority. However, I think it's important that we recognize some of our person-to-person relationships hold more weight than others. And there's a godly investment in the family that Scripture is clear from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I'm discouraged at how little we as Christians invest in our own families. And it's not that we don't love our families. It's that we justify working too much. It's that we justify letting someone else teach our kids the Bible. It's that we justify in our hearts that things are getting done and we don't have to be involved in it. Whereas from Genesis through Revelation, we read over and over and over again, our responsibility is to our household. Listen to some of these harsh words we read in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Can you read that again with me? Because this is a verse that, that kind of shakes me. Anytime the Bible says that's worse than being lost, I, I have to read it again. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy. If you don't care for your own family, your children, and your spouse, if that is not your first priority after your relationship with God, if that is not where your investment is, you don't understand the Christian faith. That's what he's saying. If you don't love your spouse and your children the way that God has called us to love our spouse and children, we don't have a grasp on how God loves us. We can read several places and and. Husbands, I'm going to talk to you for, for just a minute uh, be, because I am a husband and this is how God speaks to me. But, but know that this also applies, this principle applies to wives and to children and to family. But over and over and over and over again in Scripture, we see a calling for men to love their wives, to men to care for their children, to, for men to invest in their families. And if we deny this, our priorities are all out of whack. Listen to what it says in, in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. How? 
as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, it also speaks about your your loving and respecting your husband in Ephesians as well. But husbands, can we take take just a step back and realize the standard that is set before us? It's not love your wives as best as you can. You need to love them like Jesus loves you. I don't do that. How about this? In Proverbs 5.18, it says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now, this does not say, and specifically so, rejoice in your young wife. And this is an important distinction. Deuteronomy actually tells us that there's a time and a place when you're newly married to love your young wife as you're young together. Do you know in Deuteronomy it says, we've got some soon-to-be newlyweds. You know in Deuteronomy it says that if a, a husband gets married, he's got a year off of his duties with the army and war, and he's supposed to stay at home and enjoy his wife. So you have a year off when you get married. Sound good? Deuteronomy, right? That's not what Proverbs tells us, though. Proverbs doesn't say rejoice in your young wife. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Husbands, remember when you got married? Your wife hasn't changed. You're still married to the same woman. Things have changed in life. Things have have altered and become different, but but your wife is, is still your wife. The woman that God gave you is is still the same soul. Rejoice in her. Invest in her. The same love you had when you were in your 20s, you have now that you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s. There's an investment there. We read on in this next passage is specifically for for overseers or for, for pastors, but I think it applies well to all of us. 1 Timothy 3.5 asks the question, if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? In, in the context, this is admittedly talking to pastors and overseers, but I think the principle applies the same. If you can't care for your own family, how is God going to trust you with the family of God? We ask ourselves these questions because I think it's important that we, we recognize where our relationships are spent. Do you spend more time with your family or more time with other people? Do you spend more time investing and loving and teaching and nurturing and caring for your children or your coworkers? Do you spend more time at home face to face with your family or more time away in activities with other people? I think it's an important question to ask. Where do I invest my relationships? As we bring this to a a head, we we bring ourselves back to Matthew chapter 6 and we read verse 33 again. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. In these all these things, God wants to bless you in your time. God wants to bless you in meeting your financial needs according to His will. God wants to bless you with gifts of service. God wants to bless you with a family. God wants to give you all these things. But but we can't make time a priority. We can't make money a priority. We can't make serving a priority. And we can't make family a priority. We have to make God the priority. I like to put it this way. God doesn't only want to be the first of many things. God wants to be the first in everything. God doesn't want you to rank him God and then family and then whatever else. God wants to be first in your family. God wants to be 
first in your work. God wants to be first in your service. God wants to be first with your finances. This morning, as we think about the priorities we have in our lives, we recognize our broken mess that we live in. And can I promise you something? God's desire is to make all of your mess, all of your brokenness, all of your struggles, God's desire is to make those fashioned and formed into His will for His purpose, for your benefit. This morning, as we think about our broken lives and everything that we have messed up, are we living the Matthew 6.33 principle? This morning, maybe you need to cast aside everything that's been said and just ask the question, am I seeking God and His salvation first? Do I know that He loves me and He wants what's best for me? Do I know that anything that I've ever done wrong can be and will be forgiven when I ask for forgiveness and repent? This morning, are we seeking God above all else? Let's pray together. Father, I confess to you that you are not always my first priority. How oftentimes do I waste my time? How often do I spend frivolously at the detriment of giving to your kingdom? How often do I use my gifts to work and serve everywhere except for your house? Father, how often do I invest my relationships elsewhere? Lord, there are so many other aspects of our lives that maybe this morning we're we're asking ourselves, how do I invest this area? And I pray that in all things we wouldn't rank them one, two, three, four, but instead rank you one in all of them. Lord, we need you in your salvation. Our time will never be redeemed if our hearts are not redeemed. Father, our our lives will never be put back together if it's not for the blood of Christ. So Lord, we seek you in your salvation and ask that you would save us, forgive us, and become our one singular focus and priority. When we do that, we, we cling to that promise that everything else you'll take care of. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. We come to our song of invitation. I invite you to stand to your feet. As you stand, ask, what in my life do I need to restructure in priority? How do I need to make God first in my life? And maybe you need to say, how do I know that Christ is my Savior? How do I have that relationship with Him to be my priority? Would you respond as God leads you? Maybe God's worked on your heart this morning and and you have more questions or you have something you want to talk to me about. I would love to follow up with you. And just because our song of invitation is over doesn't mean the invitation is. Uh, You can use that same reach card and do that. If the Lord's put something on your heart, grab that card and write a question down on there. Maybe a prayer request. You can bring that to me after the service or put it on the offering plate. I would love to follow up with you this week. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward. We're going to take up our tithes and offerings this morning. Let's pray together. Father, you're good to us in every way. Lord, you are all we need. Father, we thank you so much for the blessings we have, most importantly, and the salvation that we have in you. Lord, thank you for forgiving us when we ask forgiveness. And Lord, we ask this morning that we would recognize your goodness to us and invest in your kingdom through our tithes and through our offerings. 
Lord, we pray that you would use these gifts to further your kingdom and share the gospel message to people in our community, in our state, in our country, and even through our missionaries and our mission offering to the ends of the earth. It's in your name we pray. Amen.